Welcome to season four of the Lighting Your Way podcast. This season, we will hear from all types of guests who share their experiences, their insights, and their personal stories. For this third episode of season four, I am joined by Chris McCarrick, who is also a finalist in the community nursing category for the Nightingale Awards of Pennsylvania. So Chris McCarrick, welcome to the Lighting Your Way podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you for inviting me today, Betty. Yes, well, you are the final uh, finalist in, at the Guardian Nurses team <laughs> for the for the Nightingale Awards of Pennsylvania, and you are a finalist in the community nursing category. So, congratulations! Thank you. I'm very excited. Yes, I. I we were all excited. I think it's been a great. Uh, <laughs> You know, just to, to talk with Charlotte and Meg and, and all of our teammates that we have three uh, nurses that will be honored at the event. Um, have you ever been to the Nightingale Awards? I have not. This will be my first. Wow. What a way to start. Jeez. Okay. Boy, talk Don't about, know what to you know, expect. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lovely night. It's really a lovely night. Um, so, Chris, tell me a little bit. I know that uh, you've been a nurse for a long time. So tell me about your career summarize you know how did how did you get started where did you go to school give us a little background on on your nursing career okay so i hopefully am an oldie but goodie um <laughs> i graduated 37 years ago from a diploma nursing school called northeastern it was located in port richmond philadelphia and um i ever since been practicing various uh fields of nursing i have tried to get at least two years of whatever I went into it as for nursing. So I've done mm. some psych, some med surge, education, community, and most recently I am now with Guardian as a mobile care coordinator and will be celebrating November, my third year with Guardian. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> There's a lot of celebrations going on, I think. <laughs> That's great. Um, so Northeastern School of Nursing, is that still open? Unfortunately, no. Um, Northeastern was purchased by Temple at one point, and they elected to, um, as the push for BSN, uh, they started to close down the diploma schools. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, that that was especially back. You know, when I mean, I graduated thirty six years ago, so we're kind of contemporaries in that respect. And I went to a diploma school as well, which is, I it's open, but it's of course associated with a BSN program. So in all that, did you have a purposeful, like, I'm going to try this for two years? Like, did as you explored nursing, right, did you uh -huh. have any, because most of us go to, into school and then we find a rotation that kind of intrigues us and we think, oh, okay, that's where I'm going to go. What was your decision making like back then? So back then, I really, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I really had no real concept of nursing or where I wanted to be. Um, I started out like uh, back then, most people said get two years of med surge or a year of med surge and then take it from there. And that's what I did. And I realized that it does take you um, a good year or two when you're in a specialty right. to, um, as you told me once when we talked a long time ago, to get over the honeymoon phase <laughs> and really um, you know, get a grasp for what, what your job is. And, um, so I, I think two years is a, was a good time frame for me to say, yes, I, I like this, or no, I think it's time to move on and try a different field of nursing. 
Right. In all the, in all the, and I'm not setting you up for, you know, I'm not prompting this answer, but in all the, the roles that you've had, you know, what, what was one of your favorites or two of your favorites besides guardian um, nurses? Besides course. guardian <laughs> <laughs> education in the emergency room. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and it's interesting. Education and emergency room are two very different uh, energies, right? Yeah. Emergency is that um, like most uh, adrenaline junkie. Right. I love that running around, okay. organized chaos. But then I like the education part that you don't really get the opportunity to do in the emergency room with sitting down with a patient and really going through things and saying, you know, why are you here so many times or can you afford right. these meds we're sending you with? So it is, it's two different ends of the well, spectrum. Most nurses in the ER enjoy the organized chaos, which is, you know, yeah. not, not for everybody. So you have two, one daughter, you have two daughters. One is just recently a nurse and the other is in nursing school, correct? Correct. And yes, how I, um, did, was that because of you? Tell me about their their decision to go into nursing. I hope so. Um, <laughs> they, um, I, I think that was part of it. Um, you know, we have had family members in the past that have been had illnesses, and and they just saw, you know, they they liked taking care of them. They liked being there for them. And, you know, for a while there, I was just mom, the nurse. And as they got older and they could understand things, especially in the emergency room, and they would hear things, they were like, wow, this really sounds interesting. I think we'd like this. Okay. So um, I never really pushed it. I let them make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, they both came to me and they said, yeah, we want to be nurses. So I'm very proud of them. That's great. That's wonderful. Are, there, are they coming uh, to the Nightingale Gala? Uh, one is, and the, the new nurse actually just got told that they cannot change staffing for her. So she's oh. had her first taste of missing <laughs> something oh. due to the schedule. <laughs> oh, did they, yeah. did she explain to them that her mother was a finalist at the Nightingale Awards? Yeah, but uh. short staffed. And so she understands, uh. but yeah, so uh. she's, she's got a quick learn. <laughs> oh, wow. Where, where is she work? What, what units, uh, what kind of nursing is she doing? She is working at Jefferson's neuroscience, um, oh, on the okay. intermediate ICU. Wow. Downtown in Philly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wow. Okay. Good for her. That's, that's, uh, going from nursing school into the fire, right? Going exactly. <laughs> wow. And then how about your, your other younger one? Um, where is she at in her career, her she... academic career? This is her final year. She goes to Gwen at Mercy. Um, she's looking into either psychiatry or pediatrics. Ah, okay. And and I guess, you know, it's been so long since I was in school or had any students kind of close. Um, when you talk about, you know, your experience, right, like that you were coached to, you know, spend a year in med surge or two years, are they getting that same coaching, do you think? No, um, it's funny. They are being told the opposite now. Um, they're being told that you don't need that, that a lot of places feel it's good to get you as a fresh nurse to treat, mm. to teach you the right way from the very beginning. So mm. you spend a year in med surge while you do get that organization skills and, you know, uh, prioritizing, you have a tendency maybe to have some 
you know, set ways by that point, which can interfere. So they like to, to bring you in hmm. fresh. Interesting. And what's the orientation been like for your older daughter? So um, a lot of the places now have a nurse residency program, which mm-hmm. does help a lot. Um, and I, I think it's a great program when you hear, you know, it's uh, six months of some have a year of having uh, preceptorship. They mm-hmm. classes to help with other things. And um, they're given the opportunity if they don't feel they're ready to, to move forward to repeat a couple of weeks. Um, they are no, they're not put with one, uh, they're put with, correct, correct it. They, have, they are put with one preceptor and one backup. So okay. they form a connection and they really, um, it's, it's made her feel very comfortable and, um, you know, it has allowed her to make decisions without hesitating, like speaking to them. So I think it's a good program. Yeah. Um, they're not going yeah, out there, you know, cold to these specialty units, which I think is important. Yeah. And particularly, particularly in the last two years, as nursing programs were not able to go into the hospital and have that clinical experience because of COVID, uh, you know, these students coming out and graduating uh, are a little bit behind uh, in their clinical uh, exposure, not skills, but clinical exposure. And I think that nursing residency program, which I've heard about, uh, has been helpful to the, as I call them, the rookies to come out. Oh, and I definitely agree. Just being a mother of a student to watch, it was a struggle because in a diploma program, you know, I had a lot of opportunities to rotate in many of the fields. And these girls before the pandemic, some of them don't get the opportunity to say, go into the uh, operating room and say, oh, I like this. So this residency program, some of them allow them to rotate to different departments over the year. And okay. to really get a good concept, and then they can make a decision at the end where would they would like to go. Well, that's great. Yeah, so it's kind of like a, a little bit of softer entry into the career so that they, uh, as we often said when we were growing up, that nurses eat their young. Perhaps that's changed. <laughs> and we, and okay. we're not. We're not. <laughs> Um, so Chris, let me, let me pivot a little bit and talk about mm-hmm. your role, uh, as a mobile care coordinator. So you, uh, have been with us for three years, but your role now is with sheet metal workers union, local 19. So, um, talk a little bit about the union and, and your role. Yay. So sheet metal, um, is a wonderful union to work with. It's a blue collar union. They do a lot of your duct work and, um, suffer like every union they have their unique issues um my fellas have a lot of issues with orthopedics hearing like we all laugh they're they're known as the tin knockers so um (laughs) we have yeah we have the benefit for their hearing aids and things because they do they have some unique difficulties due to their job um, you know, laying off at different times because, you know, you have to be able to get up onto, into the roof. Um, but they are, they're a great group. Uh, we have about, I want to say 9,700, um, people. Yes. We have three nurses. We have an acute nurse. I am the chronic nurse. And we also have, uh, which we're the only union I believe that has it is a retiree nurse that just works with the retirees. So as the chronic or complex nurse, tell us about your role. So as my role as the chronic nurse, um, I my goal is to help 
the members and their families that are all under their insurance to become, as I try to say to them, as healthy as possible, as independent as possible with a good um, concept of the system. And I'm just hopefully here as a background. I will do many things with them as far as reorient them to their benefits, because as we know, when you go to a new job, you get this big folder of everything and you don't pay attention um, or you lose it. So I work well, quite a bit with them uh, as far as what they're entitled to that they don't realize. For example, like I said, the hearing, they, they have a special benefit for hearing aids. Mm -hmm. uh, I also um, will go to doctor's appointments with them. I kind of just tell them I'm that like a little, you know, I'm a second set of ears just to hear. I like to record everything when I'm there, meet afterwards, make sure that they were happy with their appointments, that they understand it, go over what our care is in the future. And if we are not happy with it or think it's something else, we'll go for a second opinion. Okay. Um, I've been there to support them as far as mental health, which is a very big issue right now. Um, getting them connected with mental health and drug and alcohol. So I'm there to make it as easy as possible for them to get healthy and then be independent. That's great. That's great. So on a, on a, you know, overall, like through a year, how many folks do you deal with about, you know, ballpark? Um, I would say every year it can, it can fluctuate because uh, even though I am the chronic nurse, I also can help with our acute nurse, and that's just doing really quick put-out fires as far as hooking up with doctors. I carry usually about 60 patients a month where okay. I make frequent calls, and, and that changes each month. As people get independent, I discharge them, and then I bring on new people. Okay. So it's ever-changing, and the numbers go up and, and down. Right, and we've had um, sheet metal, I think, for – it's one of our longer – uh, unions. I think we've had them for nine, maybe eight, nine years, I think. I, yeah, I believe so. And they love yeah. guarding. They're always, um, always telling us how much they like us. <laughs> well, that's always nice to hear. You know, yes. you don't often hear that from, from patients, especially because you get to develop long-term relationships with them. So, um, you know, so it's nice to know that they have your number to call. Maybe not, but. <laughs> and they do. <laughs> I need so, like Chris, <laughs> right, right, right. So, so tell me about there. Is there one case? Um, I know you were nominated uh, by a, a colleague, and the nomination process is responding to uh, four or five questions. And some of those questions ask for specific examples of when a candidate has done, you know, um, proved intentional caring relationships. There's other criteria, but when you think about your role, is there a case that resonates with you and kind of encompasses all the things that you do? Yes. Um, actually, it is the case that I've been nominated for. I think it's a really good example of the growing um, problems that we're having nowadays with drug and alcohol and the fentanyl population okay. um, and how people are treated. And uh, it is a gentleman that I had. He was in his late 30s, three children, uh, productive, working with sheet metal, um, had a little bit of a history before, some encounters with law, nothing major, mental health issues, self-medicated, and just got into a, you know, a couple years of having hard times. Mm -hmm. He had been clean for oh, 10 to 15 years, and wow. he was found 
wandering in the highway back in February, no shoes on. His car was running down the street, mm-hmm. incoherent, and uh, he was picked up. And because of his condition at that time, he was a John Doe in the emergency room for three days. Oh. Um, once they were able to identify him, then contacted his family, who in turn called our union. And I received a call saying that mm-hmm. their father needed help. They were just given a devastating life ending diagnosis and they wanted guardian to see what they could help them with um what made things complicated yeah and and the the thing that was hard was you know the gentleman is of age so you had to run in with the hippa because they Mm -hmm. can't tell a lot the father was located in florida and the mother was located in jersey and Mm -hmm. um so there was a lot of working parts that were going their own ways so um I mobilized and went over after I spoke to both parents and I was able to go in and and see my patient. And um, unfortunately, like I said, I I truly believe part of it was why he was brought into the hospital and his appearance. Um, He was, when I walked in, long hair, tattoos, had a history, came in, they said it was drug related. and I, I think sometimes people get this perception of, of what that person is instead of what they, you know, they don't know the true story. Right. Uh, when I went in, he was in the dark, restrained, confused, uh, developing a bed sore. He was getting contractures in his arms oh. and legs, which for those that don't know is when they, you start to bend your arms and legs and eventually you can't straighten them out. And this had only been like 10 days. They told us he wasn't eating. They wanted a feeding tube, but yet there were trays there that weren't even touched. And I fed him that day and he ate. And his mother said he eats every time I come in. So I realized it was something we had to really step in and and get a quick start. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk to the staff. And like I said, uh, the comment was made. Well, when you have friends that do drugs, and you do drugs, this is where you can expect to be. Oh, geez. Not very compassionate. No. So I, you know, I I, I talked to supervisors. I, I spoke with case management. I got our supervisors involved. We were able to get him a second opinion. He actually had two opinions from um, hospitals, which are considered center of excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, he had multiple testing evaluations and we were told that yes the diagnosis was correct he would be terminal that we should start looking into hospice and a nursing home and um it was kind of hard to take as like i said he was a older 30 years old but he um he had children and uh we did we we managed to get mental health for the children um i worked with uh, our mental health group with local 19 and we got uh, the two older kids help. We prepared them. We kind of forced the hospital to bring them in so that they could say goodbye. Yeah. And uh, he went to a long-term care facility. And, with with uh, the anticipation that he would be terminal. And yes. Die. They said wow. it would probably be a couple of weeks. And that was in February, March. And from that point on, you know, you kind of feel helpless, but we went, we just kept going and we would work with him and we tried to sit him up and we made sure, like I let the family know, you know, 
nursing homes are good and bad. There's staffing, there's many issues, but you have to go and you have to go at different times right. and you can't have a routine. And that's what we did. And with yeah. that, he started to improve and we start pushing and we were like, no, he needs further rehab. He needs more intense rehab. And eventually, uh, April, I will gladly say that um, I actually have a picture of his family and him and I walking out of the nursing facility <laughs> oh, with man. a walker. Um, <laughs> that was for just endurance. Um, I spoke <laughs> to him two weeks ago. Oh, he wow. is now purchasing another home because everything was sold when we thought he was passing away. Oh, God. He's working oh, full God. time. He goes to post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, wow therapist wow. uh he has been clean ever since and uh he's back to the way he was um wow wow yeah yeah so that it, is a fantastic story yes i was so proud of him um it was just everybody worked together and it was really nice to, to prove you know and like i said to take care of somebody that they kind of pushed aside and just said well he has a drug issue and this is this is what happens so it was it was wow. my most rewarding of the year. Wow. And that was you know, February, March, April. So that was <clears throat> three months of support. Yes. And then kind of touch base with him as, as things go on. So it's October now when we're recording this. So you're still in touch with him kind of, you know, indirectly. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, he'll call me and he'll say, look, um, I'm, I'm moving in next week, you know, or he'll say, oh, I had this therapist or I had a bump in the road. Which okay. is nice because he reaches out when he has a bump in the road and says, what can I do? Um, so we don't have as much contact, but he knows that I'm there and he can just text me, say, hey, can you give me a call whenever? And I get back to him. So it's nice. Wow. That's Chris. Nice job on that. I know that you put a lot of um, energy into him and his family. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Really. Um and and I think some of the points that you raised, uh, you know, patients who may not be clean cut or maybe drug addicts, you know, or overdosed come in and there are biases that we bring to that patient, sadly, um, especially as you said, I mean, you worked in the ER, right, repeatedly over and over again. It's disheartening, I'm sure, to the nurses who are are there, right? So you can kind of, you know, understand, but not, not leave them there in terms of getting a bed sore and sitting in the dark without eating. Exactly. And that's why I like guardian because we can encompass before, during, and after. And unfortunately, when you're inpatient, nurses are dealing with the there, here and now. They don't want to hear about the past. They'll hear a little bit of the bad, but they don't know that he was clean and they don't know that there was a loss and that's how he fell off the wagon, you know? Right. So, right. You're doing the best right. you can as an inpatient nurse, but right. you don't have the whole picture. Correct. Right. You have a snapshot of somebody who pops in, right, after they've overdosed, wandering on the highway. Exactly. Yeah. So, Chris, um, all the, you know, in the last couple of years since COVID, we hear a lot about uh, short staffing and uh, nurses retiring and, you know, that it's just a, not a great place to be in healthcare. So I am uh, going to ask you as one of the Nightingale finalists to put your uh, magic, well, to get your magic wand mm -hmm. and to come up with uh, one, one solution to fix <laughs> the healthcare uh, problem, which is growing. 
Tell me what what what, what would you do if you could? Oh, so there are so many aspects of it, but I I truly believe that we need to put nursing up front. We need to have nursing more involved. And when I say that, I mean in committees, in policy and procedures, in local government, um, with insurance, because we are truly on the on the front line. We see what works. We do have some suggestions because we've been through it. Example is the pandemic. You saw every night on TV, oh, the heroes, the heroes. And we did what we were told. We've been through it. And I don't believe we were talking about this the other day. I don't know anybody has gathered the nurses together and said, hey, what worked for you? How did you get through this? What do, what can we do to prepare for the next pandemic? Mm. Um, I, I believe that a lot of decisions are made above. They're not, um, they're diagnosis based and insurance. And I get that it is a money issue, but I also think healthcare, we need to get back to the people issue and taking care yeah. of people. And I think the pe- those that have true um, concept and can give good solutions and really help move us forward are the nurses. Well, you won't get any argument from me, that's for sure. Uh, I think, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, I don't want to say competing, but there's a lot of different uh, interest groups and everybody's kind of staked out their claim, right? Um, but it would be nice to work together, all together, uh, including in Congress, right? Because it's healthcare. Absolutely. It shouldn't be a political issue. It should be really about providing good health care to our country because despite all the costs that are um, expended, we don't have great clinical outcomes or great health care for everybody. Exactly. And I think the people that are involved that really see the results or should have a say, I, I don't think you should make decisions above if you have no concept of what a nurse does or what a diagnosis does and what all is involved instead of saying, well, we're going to pay for this or we're going to go this far. Um, I said healthcare is about people and I just feel nursing should play a major part in that. Even if it's just to consult us or say, what have you learned from this um, would be helpful. Well, as I said, you won't get an argument from me and perhaps you'll get a soapbox on Friday, October 28th (laughs) to to share your thoughts and feelings on the future of healthcare at the Nightingale Gala. I hope so. Um, So the, the more important question is, do you have your outfit ready? I do. I have my ah, app. Okay. okay. And luckily I have young daughters, so they will do the whole makeover. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I hope I recognize you that night. <laughs> Don't do a big makeover. We won't recognize no. you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh it's a lovely night and I think for the first time uh you'll you'll really enjoy it. It's uh, I think we have over, I, I think I've said this, we've had over 300 guests coming uh, to Harrisburg and it is a wonderful night to celebrate all that is good in nursing in uh, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So you are part of that and we are very proud of you. Thank you very much. And I cannot wait because I've heard wonderful stories for, about other nurses and it is, it's uh, it's something that needs to get out there because I know many nurses have never heard of it. and. Um, when you hear the stories of some of these these nurses that are, are going to be there, it's 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 inspiring. 
Yes, it absolutely is. You will leave definitely inspired and probably wet around the eyes. <laughs> well, I am a bladder eyes, so I'm bringing tissues. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, Chris, thank you uh, for spending some time. And I look forward to October 28th and seeing your makeover, at least. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for having me today. All right, take care. If you have any questions that you would like us to address in a future episode, please email us at podcast at guardiannurses.com. That email again is podcast at guardiannurses.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. You can find the Lighting Your Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, YouTube, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you liked what you heard, Tell a friend and leave us a review. You can learn all about Guardian Nurses Healthcare Advocates on our website, guardiannurses.com. So until next time, find some joy in your life, pet all the good doggies and kitties, and remember to tell your people that you love them. Take care.